This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Could it be that our own bodies and minds are resources enough to be our best selves? And if we only trust in them, we can achieve great things? Entrepreneur, best-selling author, and mother of two, Kate Northrup, says the answer is yes. In fact, her latest book is Do Less, a revolutionary approach to time and energy management for busy moms. Coming up, a fascinating and inspiring conversation with Kate. You'll hear how Kate's mother, a renowned expert in women's health, Christiane Northrup, inspired a scientific side that powerfully blends with spirituality. Why an identity shift due to the exhaustion from pregnancy and motherhood made her think about life differently. The surprising way the menstrual cycle can be a project management tool. Why writing her book helped her prepare for a very difficult time in her life. And the nature of allowing life to simply unfold. Welcome to the All Possibilities podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Kate, it is so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I want to dive right in and talk about how you grew up. And specifically, I know that that you and your mom, Dr. Christiane Northup, have this beautiful relationship and history together that has really driven you in different ways. Can you bring us to bring us to understand what that was like for you? Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 so interesting because a lot of times people will say they'll ask me like, what was it, you know, what was it like growing up with Christian Northrup as your mom? Or what was it like, you know, being raised with a famous mom or something? And and the truth is I have no idea because it's the only mother I had. <laughs> so it's just, it, you know, is what it is. I will say um, we talked growing up about a lot of things that other people, other families I know don't talk about. Like there was really nothing that was off limits at the dining room table because, you know, my mom was an OBGYN. So we were just, you know, talking about uteruses and periods and like topics that are really pretty taboo. And then also my dad's a doctor too. And so there was just this sense of, um, you know, talking about like the body in a, in a pretty matter of fact way and in a scientific way. Um, so I think that's contributed quite a bit to my fascination with the body. I was super not interested in going to medical school, but, um, <laughs> and neither is my sister cause I saw what that lifestyle is and it's really intense. And I was, I was, uh, not interested in that part of it, but, um, but super fascinated in the science aspect of of how the body works and then also the spiritual aspects of okay well we are here you know whatever your belief system is we are here as souls living in a body for this period of time and like what's that about and how can we use the physical experience of being in a body so i think that the open dialogue um really helped me just form that curiosity um and then also like my mom has been you know embarrassing me my entire life <laughs> so there's also that yeah. 
did you ever feel like like the scientific viewpoint was uh, stronger than the spiritual viewpoint when you were growing up? Maybe it's kind of rebelling against, you know, what society or what your family is saying, just trying to explore it on your own. My dad definitely had a much stronger scientific viewpoint. I mean, to this day, he's still not a he's really not very a very spiritual person. But my mom was definitely much more spiritual over scientific, Um, though, you know, as you know, the scientific and the spiritual overlap quite a bit. And I love it. I've heard I'm going to botch the quote and I don't even know who said this, but there's you know, there's there's like some some sayings about if you're really a true scientist, how can you not believe in God? Um, and I, and I love that because it's, it's true when I was researching for my book, I was just so fascinated by the, the patterns in, in science that I don't think can be explained any other way other than kind of like the, the spark of the divine. Hmm. Let's talk about your motherhood journey and what that has opened up for you. Yeah. So becoming a mother, um, it's such a huge identity shift. At least it was for me. Um, I have not met any woman who said it wasn't a huge identity shift for her. So I think that's pretty common. Um, I was pretty shocked by how hard motherhood is for me. Again, not every woman has that experience, <laughs> but I I still find it very difficult, although it's getting easier and easier. I have a one-year-old now and a three-and-a-half-year-old, and my first year of motherhood was so intense. Um, my birth was traumatic. The recovery was really hard. I had postpartum anxiety, postpartum insomnia. Um, it, it just We just weren't sleeping. Um, she wasn't sleeping. Our baby was sick. We had not very much childcare. It was just like a really, like, it felt like a gauntlet. Um, and so what it opened up for me was, A, so much compassion for every person on the planet who is raising children in any way, shape, or form, even even if, it, if they're not your biological children, you know, for the aunties, for the teachers, for the caregivers, um, you know, it is a challenging thing to make sure this little human thrives to do our best to do that. And, and it's, it's all encompassing. And I just didn't realize, I just didn't know how hard that would be. I mean, to be perfectly honest, until I became a mother, many things came easily to me in my life and motherhood, I thought would as well. And it, it's not that I'm a bad mom. I think I'm a great mom, but it's not like this. You know, I think some women like find motherhood like breathing. It's just like, oh, yes, it's so, you know, and then with a the baby and I just like every day has been more blissful than the last. And I, that has just not been my experience. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so hard and I'm so tired <laughs> and like stop touching me. <laughs> so I think also um, I think some women are more. um older kid moms as opposed to baby moms. And I love my babies so much. I mean, the snuggles and all of it, but I'm really also, you know, while savoring the moment, I'm really also looking forward to really diving deep with my kids. And and even my three and a half year old, like being able to have somewhat real conversations with her 
now, although sometimes she doesn't make sense, but still, like, <laughs> like more than ever before, it's really exciting to get to know her on also that intellectual level uh, rather than just kind of like a heart physical level, which I also love. But um, and and really, motherhood opened up for me this whole body of work where I realized, well, I have so much more, lim- so much limited time, so much limited bandwidth. I'm going to have to really reassess how I work now. And um, and that's become what I'm what I'm working on, what I'm teaching, what I'm researching now. And I never would have done that without becoming a mother. And so it's such a gift that I feel like my daughter, my first daughter, Penelope, um, she came in with that gift for me. That's beautiful. And I completely understand what you're talking about with my 15 month old. And and I think I'm like you, too. For a long time, I had told my husband, you know, from zero to four or whenever they start communicating in a way that that makes sense to me you can have the baby (laughs) (laughs) and then then you know the baby came and it was not something I was prepared for I, I, I knew that going in but it's it's learning on a whole nother level and every day for me it's still wondering like am I doing this right or or trying to let go of being focused on whether I am doing it right. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's one of the things I think we just put so much pressure, especially when you're a high achieving woman. You know, we've put so much pressure on ourselves to get the straight A's and to get the good jobs and to grow our businesses and, you know, and check the boxes, but not only check them, like Excel. And I don't, there's no like grade system with motherhood. There's no, there really is no excelling. It's just tiring. And you just do the best you can. And so I, it's weird for – it's been weird for me as somebody who was used to uh, getting graded or having marks of achievement to suddenly be in a system, motherhood, where <laughs> that really just doesn't apply. And then and then it's it's a little bit amorphous of like, well, how – how am I doing? And then, and then, of course, we compare ourselves to people on the internet. We compare ourselves to other moms from daycare or whatever. And and of, I, of course, I, I do my best not to do that because it's really unhealthy. But it is inevitable at some point because um, I don't know if it's human behavior, you know, biological or if it's just the way we're raised to kind of check and compare. Like, okay, how am I doing in the in the group, right? Um, and so I just think we have to watch out for that. And I've really grounded into, okay, not how do I think I'm mothering compared to Sarah or Jasmine or whoever, but like, am I proud of the types of choices I am making for me and for who I am and for who my kids are? Because every family, every combination of, of humans that, you know, the mom, the dad, the two moms, the two dads, the step so, you know, all the different combinations, plus those children, those little souls, I really do believe each iteration needs something really different to thrive. And so if we do compare ourselves, uh, we're really doing ourselves a disservice because we have no idea if our kids need the same thing as some other families' kids, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, I never really grew up with lots of young cousins or things of that nature. So the only thing I could compare to is how my mom raised me. And that's a whole nother story of <laughs> things, things that I really shouldn't compare myself to. But it's, it's fascinating to, to see elements of, of how she mothered me 
come through and how I want to break free of mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Well, I think there's, I don't know for you, you know, you can share, but like there are elements of mo- the way I was mothered that I want to bring into my mothering. And then there are elements that I want to let go of. And I think that's our opportunity to have the consciousness of, okay, of what am I incorporating and what am I letting go? And, and that's evolution, right? Like that's how we can upgrade our maternal lineage. Um, Cause I, I believe we have, you know, inevitably we have more consciousness than the ge- the last generation. And that's the whole idea. I hope, I hope my girls do the same thing. I hope that they pick and choose which batons they choose to carry and uh, which ones they decide to lay down. I like that perspective. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Tell me about do less. What what was the process like of exploring what it means to to do less in your life? Well, very much like my first book, it was totally by accident. Um, I never sought out to be an author. This was not like the plan. But what happened is I got pregnant with my first daughter and I was so tired. It was the first time it was I was so tired the entire pregnancy. And it was the first time in my life that I had had a physical experience where I couldn't just push harder to to get through it. Um, And I literally my body just forced me to lie down all the time. I could not function. And so I cut my work hours about in half during that pregnancy. We also traveled quite a bit. My husband and I were on a a very long honeymoon. Um, And so there was just a lot less working during that period of time. And then, and then I shared that we had a really hard first year um, and only had about 10 hours a week of child of childcare. So then September of 2016, Penelope turned a year old and we sat down and we looked at our finances and you know, going into parenthood, my husband and I ran a company together. We didn't have parental leave. There was no maternity leave, paternity leave. Like we needed to make the same amount of money um, to pay the medical bills and for childcare and our rent and all that stuff. And we sat down and despite me having worked half as much while I was pregnant and despite both of us working about half as much that first year of parenthood, we had made the same amount of money as previous years and actually a little bit more. And so I thought, well, then what the heck was I doing all of those years working all those hours when I could have made just as much in half the time? And so that was by accident. But I thought, well, I'm not so special. Um, certainly, there are some things that I could look back over this time and and codify them and and do them on purpose and then ideally share that with other people. Um, so that's where that's where Do Less came from. And I started researching and learning about how our bodies so it was really my pregnancy and and the way the way creating a human being forced me to change my relationship with work and with productivity um then turned into uh learning about how our bodies are wired cyclically as women in a very different way than men's are and learning how to use that as a blueprint. So it was, you know, it was it was hands-on research in my own life. It was uh, book research, just reading um, about hormones and about the brain. And then it was um, it was really trying things out with this. I have a membership of about a thousand female entrepreneurs, and we're just trying stuff out together um, to see what works and what didn't, what doesn't work. And I still, I'm just trying every day to figure out. Like th- my hypothesis every day is. Is it possible to achieve more and have more by doing less? And every day I find new ways to prove that, yes, that is indeed possible. 
I love it. And and I can think back to a time when, when I was also pregnant and kind of preparing for that. I knew I had to de-stress. And that meant looking at my work and business and seeing what was not working for me. And I did find that when I stopped working so hard, just kind of push, 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 I worked way fewer hours and ended up making the same amount or more, which to me was was a surprise. And also, I tend to rationalize myself and say, well, you know, I had to put in the hours to build that foundation. So I was curious, do you think that that in your case, you kind of needed to put in those hours to build that foundation so that it worked? Or do you feel like you can apply um, this kind of do less philosophy and still have it happen just with easily? I think it's a little bit of both. Honestly, I love this question. Um, no one's asked it yet. So <laughs> thank you. Um, and I think that, uh, yes, absolutely. Because I'll work with a lot of people, you know, whether they're just starting out in their careers, though I mostly work with entrepreneurs, where it's like they want to build this empire overnight, you know, and they have massively unrealistic expectations of <laughs> Of how long things take and how, you know, you have to put in the effort. So sometimes I think people see see my do less philosophy and assume I'm saying you don't have to put in work. And I am definitely not saying that. I'm, a, I'm quite a hard worker. However, however, we have also been programmed to believe that if we want to get better results, the only way is to put in more hours. And the data does not show that this is the case. I mean, for example... Um, we have a 40 hour work week, right? This is the standard. The average American actually works 47 hours a week. Um, and it's not uncommon to work more than that, especially, you know, in New York city, um, some of the bigger cities. So, so that work week was set up in the industrial revolution has to do with how machinery works, has nothing to do with how human beings work. And we are all just prescribing to it or like, you know, participating in it somewhat arbitrarily, but the data actually shows that on average, even really high performers like, you know, elite athletes and and best-selling novelists and incredible musicians can only focus, are only focusing every day, max, max four to five hours a day on things that actually move the needle forward, meaning things that get results. So we're talking max, it's like a 25 hours work week of actual doing the thing that you say you do. And then beyond that, it really, the studies really show it's like 24 to 30 hours a week really is the amount that we're actually working. And then the remaining, you know, 10 to 16 hours is a lot of just looking busy, right? Like being in activity because we think that we're supposed to just add up our work hours at the end of the week and somehow just the the quantity of hours negates them needing to be quality. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think essentially, yes. Do you need to build a foundation? Absolutely. Do I think we waste a lot of time, whether we're foundation building or post, you know, or after that? Yes. I think we spend a lot of time doing things that don't need to be done because we're addicted to being busy. Coming up, the do less experiments and the surprising thing about the menstrual cycle and productivity. Plus, how her husband's illness was an eye-opening opportunity to walk the talk of her own tools. 
Do you have a story or a comment you'd like to share? I'd love to hear from you. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. You can also connect with me directly at my own website, beingmypurpose.com. Entrepreneurista, a woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entrepreneurista podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurstapodcast.com. Kate, one of the experiments that you have in your book, which I love the idea of experiments because it just takes away all the focus on results and you know what will happen, all of that. It's just fun. You just explore. One of them was on tracking your cycle menstrual cycle, which I have never done before. <laughs> and other than knowing kind of generally when when it comes and what it means. Can you share why that's important and what it has done for you? Yeah, I am so excited about this. And I think I still think it's very weird that I'm even talking about this because this is one of those things being a gynecologist daughter, like, I'm still like, I'm just like, I can't believe I'm speaking publicly about my period. But here's the thing. (laughs) Because, you know, the pendulum swings the opposite way sometimes, right? When you're raised with one thing, then it's like, I want to go over here. I don't want to be like that. So, but here's the thing. I feel like health education in middle school or and sex ed really does us a massive disservice because essentially the education is here's how to not get pregnant. It's missing 99.9% of the rest, which is here's how amazing your body is. You know, so it's it's setting women up to be afraid. It's like, this is this thing that happens to you. And if you're not careful, you'll get pregnant, right? And so it's completely fear-based versus look at this. This is so amazing. There are four distinct phases of your cycle, not just when you're having your period, which is the only thing anyone talks about, right? And then it's you're supposed to hide it. It's a totally taboo subject. And then it's also um, – there's a lot of language around like, oh, she's just on the rag or, oh, that's just your hormones. You know, it's called the curse. It's all these terrible things. But here's the deal. It's actually an access point to these four very distinctive energies or ways our brain functions throughout the month that help us be really brilliant. And so here's what they are. So the time when you have your period, we're familiar with that. It's the time where your energy is lowest and 
um, your brain is wired the most for interaction and connection between your left hemisphere and your right hemisphere, which makes you the most intuitive because it's the connection between that creative, more emotional side of your brain and the more rational. So it's a really good time for going inside and asking your intuition or your inner guidance, whatever you want to call it, for the answers to big questions in your life. And it's a really great time saver because how much do we spend time obsessing about what the right decision is, calling all our girlfriends, calling the psychics, calling our coach, calling our therapist, asking our mother? You know, we do a lot of outsourcing of information and wisdom. But if you would just wait to really check in during when you're having your period, especially in the first couple of days, you will get you will instantly know what's right because your brain is wired for it. So it's also a great time for rest and reflection. Then the next phase is the follicular phase. And the follicular phase is like the springtime energy of your cycle. So this is the time of new beginnings. Um, It is a time when your brain is the best for initiating projects, for brainstorming, for having really great ideas, for getting things started, and for planning. So that phase is a higher energy phase. The next phase after that is ovulation, so also a high energy, more outward phase. Obviously, it's the time when you're most fertile. Um, But it's also like literally, but it's also the time when you're most fertile energetically. So you are going to be your most magnetic at that time. It is the time when you're the most communicative. You do want to be out with people the most. It's a great time for doing presentations. It's a great time for recording podcasts, recording videos, um, pitching, you know, being at the meeting, being at the conference, being on stage. It's the time when your brain will actually make you the most verbally fluent and the best at communication. And And we need that phase. And then the next phase is the luteal phase. The luteal phase gets a really bad rap in our culture because it's the time before your period. It is if if women have hormonal difficulty, this would be the time when they have PMS. But a lot of the time, here's what happens with our brain and with our hormones during that time. Everything that's not working in your life really comes up to the surface to be looked at during that time. And it can feel like you want to burn everything down, that your marriage is terrible, your business is terrible, you hate your job, what's wrong with your kids? You know, everything is awful. And as my dear friend Deb Kern said to me, after I had my daughter, my first daughter, and I was losing it, I I texted her at 5 a.m. one night and I was like, SOS, like, I can't, I'm not going to make it through the day, let alone the next five minutes. She got on the phone with me and she was like, honey, you can trust your feelings right now. You just can't trust the volume of them. And so at that time in those 10 days or so leading up to your period, what you are feeling is accurate. And so our whole culture wants to tell women that they're just crazy during that time and that like, you know, you're just hormonal you're acting like a crazy person. Really, it's all excellent information. It's just that the volume is turned way up during that time. And it will feel like, oh my God, everything's terrible. It is not. However, one time a month, you get this incredible information for what may need your attention, whether it's a conversation you need to have in your marriage, whether it's a way to approach mothering that's going to be different, whether it's you know something that needs to change within your team at work. And so your brain is wired to give you that excellent information so that during your next cycle, you can decide what you need to let go of and you can decide what needs to be born. And it's literally every single month, a mini death and rebirth 
cycle. It happens every single month. And it's these opportunities that we have every single month to essentially energetically die and be reborn or on a project basis or whatever. And if we actually pay attention to that every single month, it's such an opportunity to tap into our wisdom, our creativity, our greatest ideas, our power. And I just want all girls to know that there's more to your period than either trying not to get pregnant or trying to get pregnant. It's so much more than your literal fertility. It's really so much more energetic. And I think if we all knew that, um, also, hello, the whole cycle is responsible for human life. And it's amazing. (laughs) And then also, (laughs) you know, also it really changes our brain in this beautiful way so that we have these four distinct phases that are organized specifically for every single part of getting a project done. It's all designed right in there. We don't need an external project management, time management system. It's inside our bodies and we just have to follow what's already happening. Amazing. When I first read that, I looked back at my activities, basically, you know, what, how, how it aligned to all of these different phases. And one, I was so surprised. Uh, there, there's something in your book about how, how, uh, how our, our cycles match with the lunar cycles if, if we're just not in a place with artificial light. Exactly. And, and when I looked at the calendar, I was like, oh my goodness, this is probably TMI, but my cycle in April completely matched up with the lunar cycle. And the moments when I did feel very creative, very out there talking to people, building partnerships, and I'm so introverted that it takes me so much effort to even, you know, set up that meeting. And I noticed that when those meetings happened, that actually aligned with the correct phase where it would help me be most magnetic. And definitely in the, you know, I've seen those weeks where all of the emotions, I love your perspective of the volume being high. Those emotions are definitely there, but because the volume is so high, it then, for someone like me, makes me verbalize them when before I would just internalize them and maybe hope it gets better or over-rationalize and say, you know, like, just like Julie, ignore it. And and because of that period of time when when I can say something, let's say to my husband, to my mom or to myself, it then allows that kind of that rest and re reflection period when you know when when the period actually comes for you to make those changes and it's so i've seen it just in the past month match and and i know that when i was pregnant and then nursing i did not have my period for that entire time which was blissful my goodness like i didn't have to think about oh no am i gonna get you know blow up again in terms of my emotions and I didn't have that. It was it was very interesting to feel that. And then once once my cycle came back again, I was reminded of how how often my temper can flare, especially with the things that trigger me most that I'm learning on this wonderful soul journey of mine. <laughs> <laughs> and and so it is completely an opportunity to learn and to and also to be okay with with the fact that things are not happening, go, go, go every single day. And that there are opportune times for things to happen because why not? 
why not design our life so that, you know, our brains are wired in a way that helps us and and let's put those activities down that will make it easier for us to do them at that time. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you can't over orchestrate this. So I really recommend people look at like, could you do five to 10 percent of your activities that would line up? Because otherwise it's just it's not possible. Right. So, you know, sometimes the studio is available when the studio is available. Sometimes you got a speaking gig when you have a speaking gig. It just is what it is. But I really think about it from the perspective of, okay, I have this beautiful blueprint right inside me. And I want to let my body know that I'm listening in small ways, you know, not by revolutionizing my entire life, but just saying like, oh, I I feel that you're tired. I'm going to I may not be able to cancel my entire day, but I could lie down for five minutes as opposed to staying on my computer. So I really think small things actually make a huge, huge difference when it comes to organizing our lives these way, this way. And, and, and I like to think about how – not even what my tasks are, but how am I doing them? So in a week when I am feeling lower energy, could I simply move more slowly and not schedule myself back to back? In a way – in a week that I'm feeling more high energy – like I am going to spend that extra hour on the computer reaching out to people that I feel called to reach out to because I'm going to make hay while the sun shines. And when we do that, I have a, a client who makes a luteal list. So during the month when she has all this detail-oriented work to bring her projects to to completion that she doesn't feel like doing at other times of the month, she makes her luteal list. And when she's in her luteal phase, she gets it all done really quickly and she actually feels like doing it. So what a revolutionary thing to actually do the thing you feel like doing and trust that if you feel like doing it, it's the right time to do it. As opposed to what we usually do, which is what we've been taught to do, which is push through every feeling you have and do something else instead. Right. Yeah. And then we feel bad about it because it took so long and so hard. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or we're not doing enough or we're not doing it fast enough or, you know, whatever. Hmm. Well, I love those experiments. So the book is, is done. You're doing your launch. What has the book meant for you in your life? Well, so I turned in the book, um, December 24th, 2017. So you know, the whole thing takes a while. <laughs> so I turned the book in like the, you know, the first draft. And of course, there were some rounds of edits. But basically, after I had turned in the final, I think the final version, um, and 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 all of 2018, really, since our since our second daughter was born in April. So I guess the second half or, or the second nine months of um, 2018, my husband got really sick. He had a, a very bizarre um, like eczema, some sort of skin situation, uh, literally from basically the moment our second daughter was born. And that was extraordinarily stressful because there we were with a newborn. I had some birth injuries that I was dealing with. Um, and the birth was much smoother than my first one, but it was still birth and you know and you know, that's like no matter what happens it's a it's a big deal um and so i was recovering and my husband was really sick and we had a newborn and this toddler and she was having big feelings because when you get a sibling you know you have some big feelings about that and she's been great but like you know it's still a big adjustment and so the it was such an opportunity to because my bandwidth got so much more limited and there was so much more required of me because my 
partner in crime was no longer really available, certainly not to the degree he ever had been before. And it got really bad in October. So when Ruby, my second, was about, um, I don't know, whatever April to October is. Is that six months, seven months, something like that? <laughs> um, and yeah. she, you know, she was doing great, but it, but Mike was so sick. I mean, he was so sick that um, he, and so in such profound discomfort that he would like fall to his knees during the day and weep. I mean, I've never, and he, Mike is a super masculine, like alpha kind of guy. And this was quite unusual behavior for him. And so, and we had our company to run. And suddenly I was like, okay, so I'm going to be here by myself doing this because he's literally incapable of doing anything else. He was really, we were struggling to get, you know, any kind of diagnosis or the appropriate care because it was so bizarre, this thing he was going through. And, and you know, I feel like I can share this. It was a... I really think it had so much, um, so much of it. It was like a psychosomatic kind of spiritual awakening situation. We never really got a diagnosis. Um, he did heal eventually, but it's been a long road. He's like 90% there. Mm -hmm. So it was this, I remember just really having to call on my own tools of, okay, if I if I overdo it here, if I overdo it from a work perspective, if I do not ask for help, if I don't care for myself, if I don't prioritize my own needs, I will go down and my children will be screwed. Because my husband, I literally sent him to my mother's house. My mom was away. And because he couldn't help, like he was so not functional and I couldn't really do anything to help him, having him, it was just like, it was so hard for both of us to even be in the space together. So I sent him away to just go, like, do whatever he needed to do, like, go have his – I don't even know what he was doing. He just kind of meditated all day because it was all he, – he was in so much pain. He just didn't know what else to do. Um, and I was just there, you know, for a, a, a while. It was it was a good a good six weeks of him not being able to do anything or, or contribute to the – you know, and running the company and caring for the two kids. And, and I just knew if I went down – everything would fall apart because we didn't have a backup plan. And so I had to work my tools like crazy. It was not just a theory anymore. It was, which it hadn't been before, but, you know, like I've got a great partner. And, you know, God bless people who are single parents because suddenly I realized, oh, okay, so this is what it's like if you have zero backup plan. And um, and both of my parents, neither of my parents were around. Like there was just, there were a lot of circumstances. And so, um so that I have to say, like, I felt like in that moment, I mean, this feels a little cheesy to say, but I felt like, oh, I, I wrote this book in preparation for this moment in my life mm -hmm. so that I would have something to call upon. Um, and so, and so I did. So I just practiced. I asked for as much help as I could get. I got really comfortable with not having it together. I would call friends crying, which is something that I have really, really struggled with asking. I've, I've always been great at asking for logistical help, but asking for like emotional help was always a struggle. Um, to really admit that I wasn't okay was, is, has always been extremely difficult. And I, I built that muscle up during this time. And, and it actually had the payoff of building some, uh, bringing some relationships closer in my life, you know, lifelong relationships where I feel closer to those people now than I ever have, because really for one of the first times, I would call them up and just be like, I, I am not 
okay. Like things are so hard. And when I was willing to do that, you know, it's such an interesting thing, this idea of, of trying to do it all and trying to keep it all together. I've, I've noticed over and over again, how the, when we are trying to do it all, when we are trying to keep it all together and appear as though we have it all together, it really puts distance between ourselves and other people. Like we don't let them in. And it's that vulnerability um, that allows us to create that genuine connection. And at the end of the day, like that's what we're all looking for is that sense that I am not alone and we are here together. And um, and that experience did that in really profound ways in my life. Wow. That's beautiful. I mean, I, I commend you for the courage to go through that. I mean, I completely understand <laughs> what what impact that can have and and what it takes to also have to kind of have him have your partner be in a separate location too. just like it's it, that in itself is difficult knowing what pain he is in. And and for you to I, I love the perspective that you kind of wrote this to prepare yourself. It's almost like, hey, I know you can handle it. And and these are all the tools that you already have in your back pocket that you know have worked in the past. And this is something that you know will get you through this as well. It's it's something that that I will definitely take in my life and I hope in, in everyone listening because there's there is a lot of vulnerability and strength in calling someone up and not even having a clue of what to say even, or like, I don't even know what the problem is, but can I just speak and, and tell you, or just be in that moment together. And that's, that's sort of allowing those emotions to come through. So I can I yeah. definitely imagine, you know, I'll, I have some lists of, of people that maybe I can call just to, to have that deeper connection with, because yeah, I mean, stuff, I think what all of us, we, we like to pretend that things are, are really good and that we can always fix it or get there. But, but these are the moments that are, that our lives are for. Yeah. Yeah. And these are the moments that our relationships are for. And, and, and like you said, to be able to call up and not even really know what to say and also know that this other person that I'm calling can't fix it. Mm-hmm. So really, I mean, this kind of loops around to being addicted to busyness, but I think so much of stepping into doing less for me and for my community has meant expanding our capacity to be with ourselves. And when I was calling people or when I was just with this difficulty in my own life with my husband being sick, and honestly, I mean, he could tell obviously his own story. That was his own journey, but he, we were really expanding our capacity to be with discomfort and expanding our capacity to be okay with things not being okay. And that's, we all want to fix things. It's just like, what, you know, what can I do? What can I, who can I call? Like, what kind of solution can we come up with? And to be able to really expand into things are not okay. And yet they also are. And I'm just going to be here in discomfort. And my ability to expand into that, in that circumstance, is connected to my ability to do less. Because I think so many of us are doing to avoid feeling the feelings 
of sometimes things not being okay or even just feeling bored or even just having emotions come up that we don't want to feel. A lot of our cultural addiction to busyness is just that. It's just numbing out and not wanting to be with ourselves. Um, So that's kind of an underlying thread as well that I learned a lot about after I'd written the book and didn't know that that was going to be part of it. Up next, trusting your body and yourself. Are you interested in getting your own intuitive reading? Are you wondering how you can align more with your purpose? I offer introductory sessions to my Discover Your Purpose readings and coaching. As part of the All Possibilities community, you get 10% off the intro session. You get a one-on-one phone call with me where I'll do an assessment of your life and give you an intuitive reading on the highest guidance for you at this time. You'll get actionable steps that you can get started on to create the life you want. Just use All Possibilities 2018 as the promo code. That's All Possibilities 2018. Visit beingmypurpose.com for more information on my services. Kate, thank you for sharing this amazing uh, just testament to your strength and also what Do Less can do for you. I, I kept wondering as you were sharing this, about trust in God, the universe, whatever we call it, and how much of that factors in. And I ask that because I I know in my own life, which is sort of where I I get my ideas from, that there is, in the past, there has been this distrust of God, the universe, whatever we might call it in delivering, whether it's in money, in, you know, a project or health, all of these different things. And while I I love the idea of doing less, I also wonder if there's this layer of layer of energy that, that, that you can talk about that plays into this, because I know that that sort of one major lesson about either, you know, your partner's health or or any of the ideas that we've talked about before. Can you talk about how trust in something bigger and this grand plan, how that plays in for you? Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, trust in something bigger, which is also to me, trust in myself. It's It's like trust in my higher, that higher part of myself is such a bedrock to everything I do, there's no way that I would be able to, you know, practice doing less if I thought I was the master of the universe, you know, and ultimately, I think that this idea that whether it's on a micro level that you're leaving for the weekend and you're leaving your baby with your partner for the first time and you've left a list, you know, the size of the Empire State Building and like you're checking in every hour 
Or, right, it can be that micro level of not trusting. (laughs) And the macro level of not trusting is thinking that we have to make every single plan. We have to make every single to-do list. We have to orchestrate exactly how our dreams are going to come through. We have to be the one to make every single meeting, make every single introduction, you know, micro-freaking-manage the bejesus out of the world. I mean, to me, that's such an ego trip to think we have that much power, which we do not as humans – So it's all about trust. I mean, one of my practices that I do every single week and I teach in the book and streamlining your to-do list is to um, make one side of your to-do list your to-do list and then the other side of the to-do list the universe's to-do list. So I believe every single week I write down, you know, here's what I'm going to do and then here's what the universe is going to do so that I don't feel like I am alone. I don't feel like it's all up to me. Um, And I remind myself of that every single Sunday night when I do my weekly planning ritual because otherwise we can get so caught up in the egoic idea that we are in charge. And I just don't think we are. I think there's something bigger happening. And um, and, and that's part of – that is really part of the heartbeat of Do Less to trust that like, wow, my body has this divine plan. Wow, I made a human being without even thinking about it. Wow. And then my body knew how to get it out of me through a hole that is like way too small to do that. (laughs) (laughs) At least my second birth was that. And my first birth was a C-section. But like, whoa, (laughs) it's amazing. (laughs) And so that really comes back around to the beginning. I, I really don't believe you can be a true scientist and someone who's truly fascinated with how the world works and not see the divinity in everything and not see something bigger going on. Um, and so it's it's essential. It's essential, essential to trust in something bigger if you want to do less, to have more. Mm. Can you share one of your favorite stories of the universe taking their to-do list and making it happen? Yeah, actually, it's the perfect one for this book because – I So my first book, Money, A Love Story, came out in September 2013. And very shortly after that, I really just didn't feel like talking about money anymore. I had really nothing further to say on the topic. Now, of course, years later, that's changed. But um, at the time, that's what that felt true. And, and I felt very dried up creatively. Uh, my publisher wanted another book. I wasn't ready. Everyone else in my circle was like moving forward and doing cool things. And I felt like such a loser because I wasn't. And then it was three and a half years later that just as I got my period back for the first time after I had my first daughter, all of a sudden I was, it was very soon after that within a month I was in San Francisco. It was my, one of my very first trips away from my baby And I called my husband and all of a sudden, after three and a half years of waiting for like what the next idea was going to be, suddenly I knew. I knew and I called him up and it it was summarized in, I said, Mike, I know what the next kind of body of work is going to be. And I said, this, I think in the next book is going to be called Do Less. And I hadn't solidified everything. It hadn't totally crystallized, but I knew what the whole name and concept was going to be. And he was like, wow, you are not going. He was like, that's amazing. And I will tell you, I will show you why when you get home. And I was just like, what are you talking about? So it was so wild. So I fly home and I go walk into our kitchen and on our kitchen island, 
were vanity plates that he had just he had ordered for our new car. But he had ordered them. You know, it takes several weeks for them to come. And he hadn't mentioned what he had ordered. And he opens up the vanity plates and they are do less. And it was just like, what? <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> so, I mean, I couldn't think of as far as here's the thing. I waited until I felt compelled with a new idea. Now, it wasn't like I was doing nothing. In the meantime, we were launching programs. I was doing speaking gigs. We were selling stuff. I mean, we were doing things, but I knew it wasn't the thing. And I trusted that I would wait. I trusted that I would wait and that eventually I would know what the next thing was going to be. And in the meantime, of course, we still needed to pay the rent and all those things, right? So we still kept working, but it wasn't the thing. And so I I trusted that it would come. And then when it came, it was so obvious because you can't make up the vanity plates. That was so weird that we both had the same idea at the same time um, for what was next. And so that was a really beautiful moment of okay, I trusted my own timing and the universe has rewarded me with a giant wink of like, yeah, you're on the right track. Awesome. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. Isn't that cool? My last question. And this kind of goes along with uh, what we had talked about, about trust. What would you say to people, myself included, who at times find it difficult to trust? What would you say is the first step for them? I like to do experiments. So I, well, I'm going to actually recommend another book, if that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) There's a great book by Pam Grout called E Squared, which is experiments to really practice your dance with the divine. And she gives you little things to try. And, you know, things like... um, if, for example, a long time ago, I was learning about manifesting and and um, learning about you know our thoughts become things and 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 to me that has a lot to do with trust. Now, manifesting is a very is a sort of a subtopic of trust. But I was out to lunch with my mom and we were just talking about let's let's just practice, you know, and let's let's. So we talked all about uh, cobalt blue glass and we just decided we were going to see if we could manifest some cobalt blue glass. And I swear to you, we were on a road trip. Every single shop we stopped at, every restaurant, there was cobalt blue glass everywhere. It was the glasses at the restaurant. There was an entire cobalt blue mosaic at the next table. Like all of a sudden there was cobalt blue glass everywhere. And it was just such a fun because we were obviously completely unattached. Like who cares about, you know, that wasn't a thing. Um, And so I really recommend practicing with small things you don't, that don't matter or just think about like, okay, butterflies. I'm going to just like wake up in the morning. I'm thinking about butterflies. Let's see where butterflies show up today. So just, just practice building that muscle um, by bringing small things into your field, into your experience, and delight yourself with the magic of it. And I think that builds the trust muscle. Mm, Thank you. Beautiful. Well, Kate, it is so amazing to have you on the show and to share your own journey and what has done for you. Are there any kind of parting words of wisdom that you want to make sure people come away with? Yes. The reminder is that the world does not need us busy. The world needs us present. And in our presence, we achieve 
more, more happiness, more fulfillment, more satisfaction. All of the things we actually want are right there and they don't require nearly as much doing as we think. And how can people get in touch with you and learn more about your work? They can head over to katenorthrup.com. That's where my online world lives. And then also um, I hang out the most on social media at Instagram at Kate Northrup. Kate, thank you so much again. And I can't wait to try all these experiments and I'll get my husband to do it too and see how it goes. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Keep me posted. Thank you. And for you, think about how you can do less in your life as well and allow yourself that space to reflect on what that could be and go out and explore. Take those experiments, track your cycles, and even if you don't have a cycle, track yourself with the moon, the lunar cycle, or some other cycle that you feel aligned with and let us all know how it goes. I'm Julie Chan, and until next time, be on the lookout for all possibilities. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. This show is produced by Mouth Media Network. No portion of the show may be distributed or published without the expressed written permission of the producers. Thank you for joining us. This is Mouth Media Network. Audio for business.